Hey there, welcome to episode three of the Teacher Goals podcast. This is your host, Erica Terry, and I'm going to like take the mask off and just give you all a moment of truth right now. When I first encountered tonight's guests, Zoe Weil and Steve Cochran from the Institute for Humane Education, I, in my mind, equated teaching students to be problem solvers as being the same as teaching them to become solutionaries. It wasn't until after this interview that my whole mindset shifted. I now understand that there is a huge difference between teaching students to solve problems and empowering them to become solutionaries. Not sure what the difference is? Then tune in because you're going to learn the answer to that question plus a whole lot more. Welcome to the Teacher Goals Podcast. This is your host, Erica Terry from Healthy Wealthy Educators, and I'm so excited to collaborate with Teacher Goals to bring you a weekly show that equips educators with best practices and actionable strategies to achieve success in the classroom and foster a more connected and empowered school community. Here, we learn by engaging in honest discussions with innovative teachers, administrators, and educational leaders. Are you ready to achieve your teacher goals? Of course you are, so you're definitely in the right place. Let's get started. Hey there, this is your host, Erica Terry from Healthy Wealthy Educators, and I am so excited about tonight's episode because we always hear in education that we should be teaching our students to solve real world problems, but rarely ever are we given specific strategies and questions that we can ask in order to make this happen. Well, tonight that changes because our guests, Steve Cochran and Zoe Weil, bring the fire. They not only talk to us about how we can empower a generation of students to truly not only care about their community, but to make a lasting change in their community as solutionaries, but they equip us with the tools and resources that we need as educators in order to make it happen. Now, just in case you don't know, this episode and every episode from the Teacher Goals podcast is recorded live with the opportunity for you to ask our guests any question. If you want to join us for the live interview, then be sure to follow us at Teacher Goals on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, as well as join our Facebook group so that you can engage with the livest community of educators that you will find anywhere and ask any guest any question. How does that sound? All right, I'm going to be looking for you next Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. I can't wait to meet you there. And I also can't wait to share my amazing interview with Zoe Weil and Steve Cochran. You all, we had a good time in the Teacher Goals Facebook group during this live interview. Everyone there was saying how inspiring it was. And so without further ado, let me bring them up to the stage. We have So Wild and Steve Cochran. Hello. Thank you for joining me. Thank you, Erica. 
Great to be here. Thank you. You are so welcome. So glad to have you tonight. And so for anyone that has been watching and engaging with us for our interviews, my first question is always the same. And it's for you to tell us who you are and what you do. Kind of tell us your story. And so, Steve, since you're in the middle right next to me, I'm going to start with you. Tell us about who you are. Well, I am currently in my dream job as executive director of the Institute for Humane Education. But it took me 60 plus years to get to this point. But I'm fundamentally an educator. I've been a college dean and an elementary teacher and an elementary principal middle school principal, assistant superintendent for curriculum. I actively avoided becoming a superintendent, but I fell into that role in New Jersey, where I was a superintendent for about seven years and retired and found my way to working with with Zoe, who I had known through the years and could not be happier in, in that role. Love it. So, so many different roles. Um, I'm definitely going to be asking you about the transition that you made, but we'll get to that in a minute. I want to okay. give Zoe I'm an opportunity. <laughs> I want to give Zoe an opportunity to introduce yourself. Welcome. We're so glad to have you tonight. Oh, thank you so much, Erica. It's great to be here. And Steve is too humble to tell you that he was superintendent of the year. And so he's in his dream job and we are so incredibly grateful that this is his dream job. So I'm the co-founder and president of the Institute for Humane Education. And in thinking about what I do, I feel like I need to say why I do what I do. Oh, I love you. And I co-founded this organization 25 years ago because I believe in the power of education. I believe that education is the root system underlying all other societal systems. And that if we want a world where everybody can thrive, and by everybody, I mean all people, I mean other species and the environment that sustains us, if we want that world, then we need to educate young people so that they have the knowledge and the tools and the motivation to co-create that world. And I'm going to tell one quick story. Yes. When I was in college, I was dating a medical student. And one day he said to me that he thought that being a physician was the most noble profession. And I remember feeling really irritated when he said that. And there were a couple reasons I felt irritated. One reason was because I think it's sort of silly to compare professions based on their nobility. But the other reason was that I'd gone to college pre-med and I abandoned that career path. So I think I was feeling a little defensive, you too. <laughs> so um, the his comment has stuck with me all these decades later, and I found myself reflecting upon it. And while I still think that it's silly to rate professions based on their nobility, if I were pressed to say what I think is the most noble profession, I would say teaching. And the reason is because there is no other profession that holds the future in its hands. And if the future is to be bright and just and healthy and humane, it's going to be because teachers have given young people what they need to create that world. So that's why I do what I do. And really what we do at the Institute for Humane Education is we help teachers to educate people to be solutionaries. And not just in the classroom, out of the classroom as well, all forms of education, 
And by solutionaries, we mean people who can identify unjust, unsustainable, and inhumane systems, and then devise solutions that do the most good and the least harm for all people, animals, and the environment. OMG, you are talking my language. I love it, love it, and can't wait until we get to those specific strategies on how we can educate a generation of solutionaries, as you've just described. Like, that is like the perfect world, right? That's what we're all in here to do and to help our students to become. So we're definitely going to dive into more about that. Um, But before we do, I just, ever since I've learned that Steve gave up being dean at Princeton to teach (laughs) elementary students, I just have to hear the story. Like, what happened that made you say, I'm going to leave Princeton and go teach elementary? (laughs) Well, I will tell you that story. It was the most important and most naive decision I made in my life. Um, And I've never looked back or ever regretted it. But I worked at Princeton as an admissions officer and later a dean. I traveled the country telling students that they needed to come to Princeton to get the greatest liberal arts education in the world. I then spent some time up in Boston and going to graduate school. And I had a job as a dorm director at Wheelock College, which trains uh, teachers in early childhood education. And I got to know these these young women mostly incredibly well. And I became so just grateful and for what they were doing and enamored with the work that they were doing. And I left my graduate program and started traveling around the country for Wheelock talking about how important it was to work with young children. Princeton invited me back. I went back as a dean and it never stopped nagging at me that I was working at the end of the educational process in college instead of at the beginning, rather elite private institution rather than a public one. And so I left. I left to teach fourth and fifth grade in local school. And I thought naively that it wouldn't be that. How hard can it be? They're nine and 10. And then, of course, I was I was completely undone by the simplest things like, you know, how to collect lunch money or how to line them up. And, and I realized a few things. One, teaching is the most important profession on the planet. And it is also the hardest. It's not so hard to be mediocre as a teacher. To be a great teacher is the hardest job in the world. And it has become much harder in the past few years by all that is happening in our world right now, whether it's remote learning and the back and forth with masking and in-person learning, whether it's the struggles around what we can teach and what we can't teach about America's complex past and America's complexities currently in the present. It's hard for teachers. And so for those listening, I know I speak for Zoe as well. We just really want to thank you for the work that you are doing and for the bravery you're showing and for the courage to stay focused on kids. And we're here to help in any way we can. Absolutely. I love it. I think we all agree. I know I do. I gave you all types of snaps and claps, (laughs) like anything that you could give uh, to show that you agree. I agree with everything that you said. Teaching is definitely the hardest profession ever. And we could spend the whole night talking about the changes in the last few years and everything that teachers have had to go through, um, which is one of the reasons why to not, you know, 
cheap plug, but one of the reasons why for the conference, we decided to embed like multiple comedy shows just so that we can, you know, definitely get those strategies that we need, but also so we can have some fun and laugh and relax and enjoy one another because it's been such a stressful, not just year, but, you know, stressful years for educators at every level. So I definitely agree with everything that you said. And so we're going to jump into more about your book, more about Zoe's book, The World Becomes What You Teach. And in the book, it starts off with three keywords that I found so striking when I got to like the second section. And it said, begin with yourself. So kind of tell me what steps can educators take to really begin with themselves when it comes to uh, creating this generation of solutionaries. Thank you, Erica. And I'm so glad there's going to be comedy at the conference. I do improvisational comedy myself, and it's so much fun. And it's really great for educators to um, to be improvisers because, you know, we have to improvise all the time. And <laughs> Um, it's good to have a sense of humor. So the reason why I talk about beginning with yourself in my book, The World Becomes What We Teach, is because if teachers are going to educate their students to be solutionaries, they need to become solutionaries themselves. They need to understand what that means. And it's not as if schools of education and college programs in education teach future teachers, what it means to be a solutionary. And so that's what I mean by beginning with yourself to go on the journey yourself to become a solutionary. And becoming a solutionary is incredibly rewarding. Mm -hmm. Why? Because instead of just feeling overwhelmed by the problems in our world, the problems in our communities, the problems in our country, a solutionary identifies the specific problems that they want to solve and they go on a journey. And it's a process of doing research and understanding the systems that contribute to that problem and reaching out to different stakeholders and then going through a process of, of finding leverage points to create change and devising solutions. And it's so personally rewarding to really address a problem that you care about and then to become a solutionary who can solve it and to work with others to do that. So start with yourself means learn this process. And we have loads of resources to help teachers learn the process. So my book, The World Becomes What We Teach, gives the vision and the practical path forward But we also offer so much at our website, humaneeducation.org, to help teachers do this. So we have a whole solutionary guidebook that is for educators to educate youth to be solutionaries, their students. And we also have a version for students called How to Be a Solutionary. And we have a solutionary micro-credential program for teachers that is an online asynchronous program, extremely affordable, affordable to anybody. And that program allows teachers to go through the process themselves and then create an implementation for their students. And 
they get coached along the way. So it's asynchronous, but there's an instructor who helps. And so the whole process is meant to be restorative and meaningful to teachers Mm -hmm. and bring this to their students. Yes, and we will make sure that we include the website in the chat as well as in the show notes on our website when we post them next week. So if you're interested in that, we're going to make sure that you get access to that website. But with that being said, like you've shared with us all of the resources that you have. And so kind of walk us through an educator that is listening tonight or maybe listening on a podcast and they're like, this sounds really interesting. Like I would love to go through this process. Walk us through like what does it look like? What what does it mean to educate a generation of solutionaries? Steve, you or me on this one. <laughs> well, I'll tee it up for you, though. <laughs> if we think about our children as the next caretakers of our planet, then why would we not want to give them the tools to be able to thrive in that role. And the mission of education now is not elevated enough to focus on that. We focus more on preparing our students for college or career or global competitiveness. But if we, as a society, begin to look five years, 10 years, 20 years, 100 years into the future, and we think about the problems that we're facing, whether it's in the area of of social justice and racial justice, climate change, hunger, disease, animal cruelty. We want to give our students the ability to say, I want tools to solve the problems that I'm seeing in the world. I want to feel that sense of agency and engagement in my learning. And so that's what the solutionary approach does. It gives them those tools to identify inhumane, unjust, unsustainable systems, and then work through a process of determining what's causing those problems systemically. And talking to others about what's working and what's not, what's been tried in the past, looking at different points of view and collaborating with others with different points of view, and then um, proposing solutions. And solutions, as Zoe indicated, that have the most good for all people, for animals, for the environment. And it's that ethical lens of really looking Mm -hmm. at the solution that does the most good across those various sectors. That's the key to the solutionary approach. So, Zoe, you want to fill in the gaps on that? Well, I don't know that there were any, Steve. That was great. The one thing I will add is being a solutionary isn't the same thing as being a problem solver. You know, an engineer can be a problem solver. We can do a math problem and solve it, and we're a problem solver. But as Steve just pointed out, being a solutionary has this ethical component of doing the most good and the least harm to all life. Okay. And bringing that that ethical component to the process means that uh, as students become solutionaries in classrooms, and teachers can incorporate this at all levels, in all subject categories, at all grade levels, in different ways. So it's a very flexible process. There's a 14-step process that's outlined in our free solutionary guidebook that anybody can download. But teachers are going to bring their own work, their grade level and the subject categories, they're going to bring that and infuse this solutionary process into their classroom. And when they do that, they're going to bring this other component, which is really exciting, which is how do we create solutions that are truly solutionary? And by that, 
we mean solutions that they're not the same as maybe a humanitarian effort. So let's say you're seeing a lot of trash on the road or on a beach and you organize a cleanup and it's community service to do some sort of cleanup. That's a really wonderful thing to do. A food drive for a local food pantry is a really wonderful thing to do. It's not a solutionary thing to do. So we need both. We need humanitarian efforts and we need solutionary efforts. Solutionary efforts would be looking at why is there all this trash on our beaches and on our roads? Why are there people hungry and why are there food pantries at all? How can we address the underlying causes that lead to pollution, that lead to climate change, that lead to hunger, that lead to animal cruelty? How can we address those? How can we find the systems and address the real causes and do so in a way that doesn't have unintended negative consequences on any other group? Doing that is what's solutionary. And that's pretty exciting. It's exciting for students because those students, we know that students these days are feeling a lot of anxiety, Mm -hmm. depression levels are rising. Being a solutionary, learning how to be a solutionary is a corrective to all of that. It is so enlivening. It is so exciting. Students come alive. Teachers come alive. The very reason teachers have gone into teaching is suddenly like right before them in their classroom. And it's just so incredibly positive to bring this. Yes, yes. And it sounds like, I mean, just even the examples that you painted of the difference between being a problem solver, um, comparing that to being a solutionary is definitely a journey that you have to take. And I'm sure that it requires a mindset shift to go from, okay, let's solve the problem to really looking at the root of the problem, what's causing the problem. And so I say all that because we know that with any mind shift with any teaching and implementing a new new strategies, a new way of thinking, there are challenges that arise. And so what are some of the challenges that you all have experienced or, you know, coach people as they've gone through and really been educating their students to become solutionaries? And then what did they do in order to overcome those challenges? Joan, you want to start that? Sure. I I was going to leave it to you because I knew you'd be more eloquent about it, but I'll I'll start and then I'll (laughs) log it back to you. We're kind of each other's biggest fan club, if you can't tell. (laughs) Uh, So right now, there's the challenge of no new programs and teachers being overwhelmed because of the pandemic. There's Mm -hmm. also the challenge that we're seeing in this backlash to teaching about anything that has become at all conflictual, divisive, or polarized in our society. So teachers and administrators are scared to talk about issues and the problems that are leading to these issues becoming divisive in our society. So if teachers are afraid to talk about some of these issues, if they're overwhelmed, if they're overworked, if they're understaffed, that's a challenge to bringing the solutionary framework into their classroom because you have to learn it and you have to feel like you're supported in doing it. And I'll say a couple things about that challenge. Both Steve and I really felt like as awful as the pandemic has been 
it opened a doorway to a new way of thinking about education because we couldn't do it the same way. So we actually perceived this really difficult period of time as presenting an opportunity to think about education differently. And unfortunately, it's been so overwhelming that instead of feeling open to new possibilities, teachers and administrators are rightly feeling so overwhelmed, like, just please, can we get back to normal, Mm -hmm. even though normal may not have been working all that well. So there's that challenge. And then the, the reality is that the solutionary framework is the best possible answer to the divisiveness and the polarization that we are seeing in our society and that's coming up in schools. Because the whole solutionary process invites us to collaboratively work to address problems that we care about in ways where we're talking to all stakeholders. It is the opposite of fighting. It's the opposite of either or thinking. It's the opposite of side taking. It's saying, let's let's see where we can agree that there's a problem and let's work together and learn from everybody so we can solve it. And I think that as soon as teachers and administrators realize this and they can say to the parents who have been very vocal of late, we have a response that's going to help all of us, that's going to build our communities, that's going to really meet the challenges that we face. I think parents will be excited about it because this isn't a left, right, or red state, blue state, or conservative, progressive dichotomy. This Mm -hmm. is solutionary thinking and action. And bringing a solutionary mindset means believing that problems can be solved, that we can take on different perspectives, that we can see different points of view, and that we can work together. Love, love, love it. And so if people want to learn more about you all, um, where can they find you? Both of you answer. And then, of course, um, I know we've had the website in the chat, so I'll make sure I add that as well. Well, where they can find us is at at our website, humaneeducation.org. And once there, we would encourage people to look for the the button that is sort of resources for educators, and you'll find the guidebook uh, for yourself and for students that you can download for free. There's also a, another page for those who might be interested in our graduate program, and so you can learn more about humane education and the, the master's degrees that we offer. And the Solutionary Micro-Credentialing Program is also under that resource page for, for teachers. Love it. Well, we will definitely be looking for it. And I just want to thank you all for joining us tonight. Uh, For those of you that have truly enjoyed this conversation, I just have to let you know that Zoe will be with us at the conference. She is one of our featured speakers. And so she'll be sharing a lot more information and tools and resources about um, teaching students to become solutionaries. So thank you so much for joining us tonight. It was great. Such a pleasure, Erica. Thank you. Thank you, Erica. And thank all those who were who are tuning in tonight. And thank you, teachers. Yes, for all that you do. We appreciate you more than words could express. So we thank you guys. OMG, I was so inspired during this interview to use my role as a consultant to equip educators with those tools and resources that we all need to come together and create a generation of students that are solutionaries. Like, 
what in the world be such a better place? Like I could truly envision this world where, you know, students can talk about the contributions that they made that led to us having a better society. We went on past the interview for the live Q&A and there were such great questions like, what steps can you take tomorrow to begin implementing these strategies in your classroom? And so if you want to learn more about creating a generation of solutionaries, if you're wondering what questions were asked and you know, those great resources and tools that were shared, then definitely go to our social media page or the Teacher Goals Facebook group and you will see the full interview, including the live Q&A. I want to thank you for joining me this week. I am your host, Erica Terry from Healthy Wealthy Educators. And I just want to say thank you. Thank you for all that you do. And I know that you're so busy, but for taking this time to join me for the Teacher Girls Podcast, I appreciate you more than words can express. Thank you and have a great week. Thank you so much for tuning into the Teacher Goals Podcast. Here are three ways that you can engage with us and join an amazing community of educators. First, subscribe to the show in whatever platform you're tuning in on. Second, be sure to follow us and join the Teacher Goals Connected School Communities Facebook group so that you never miss our live recordings and the opportunity to engage in a live Q&A with our weekly guests. Last but certainly not least, I'd love to hear your favorite tip from today's show. Leave a review or snap a pic and create a post tagging at Teacher Goals and me at Healthy Wealthy Educators so that we can check out all of the great things that you're doing to achieve your teacher goals. Teacher Goals and Teacher Heart Out is sponsoring a 2023 Bahamas cruise open to all educators. Guests such as spouses, family, and friends are also welcome to attend. There is an amazing lineup of speakers, and you can book your PD at sea now by putting down a $200 deposit. Attend the Sail Away Party Thursday, July 6th in Port Canaveral at 6 p.m. in preparation for Cruising Friday. You will return Monday, July 10th at 8 a.m. Scan the QR code now to sign up. You don't want to miss it.